Welcome to Kanza Radio, a weekly update on the people, events, activities, and initiatives of the Kahn Nation, people of the South Wind, on 1230 WBBZ and 1047 The Bull. Now from the Kahn Nation Studios, this week's edition of Kanza Radio. Okay, sitting down with us today, we have Ken Belmard. He's the director of Kaw Gaming, Inc. He's actually been with Kaw Nation for a lot of years. Tell us a little bit about the different roles you've had with Kaw Nation. Well, as a tribal member, um, obviously interested in tribal law, I went to college and law school so I could learn about tribal businesses and be a person that, that could aid my tribe. So in earnest, I probably started working directly with the tribe in 2005. Okay, so you actually started your your journey in terms of education with you know Native American law in mind working with Kaw Nation. Yes, my that was my goal. My goal was to learn treaty law, but when I went to law school back in the 80s, they didn't really there wasn't this body of law called Native American law. Right. There was there were some elements, there were some classes, but uh, mainly it was to understand treaties and as most cause know since we were removed from Kansas, there was the potential that we had some land claims up there. I'd heard about that all my life, and I thought, I've heard all these people talking about it, but not anyone doing anything about it, so I thought, I'm going to law school. Yeah, that sounds like that's kind of an ongoing journey. At the last general council meeting, that was spoken about a little bit, some some areas in Kansas that we kind of are pursuing at this point. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about discerning 200 years of American law, so it, it's it's quite a quite an undertaking. But the tribe over the last few years, just um, from my observation, you know, we've got a we've got a fellow who's our AG that has done a great job doing the research. We have a tribal council that is very committed to this. So, uh, you know, things are moving in the right direction. So, uh, to get back to your original question, I started about 2005, um, doing a little more with the tribe all the time until about. I would say probably 2010, 2011, I began more work for the tribe in their business development arm, and I was part of the team that was working on putting the Brayman land into gaming trust, and that was a project that the tribe had begun working on in the late 80s. So it was a it was a long-term program. So in 2013, the tribe was able to get that land in Bremen and Gaming Trust, which really was a critical thing because we knew that the Newkirk facility was, at one time, it was the only one in the area. We had no competitors. That's then, the Southwind Casino. Southwind, yes. And then what ended up happening, you had two other uh, casinos come in at Shilako. You had the Osage Casino right outside of Ponca City. And then you had the big state casino in Wichita. So just quite frankly, people aren't going to drive past those places to come to Newkirk, Oklahoma. So Bremen was a question of survival. Right. That sounds like a a rather slow-moving process. I didn't realize that getting that into trust out in Bremen goes all the way back to the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was... You know, we were fortunate that um, our council members at that time had had that vision and purchased that property mm-hmm. back in the '80s. So that was that was our good fortune. 
that's actually up and running um, Rock and Brews Casino. Um, as the the Car Gaming Inc. director, what does that entail for you specifically regarding your involvement with Rock and Brews? So, as a member of the Call Gaming in, uh, Inc., uh, we have a board. And from within our board, we select our officers, and I was selected to be the president of the board. Our board gives direction to our management staff, and right now we're having more monthly meetings, but they're during, uh, I guess, the start of our expansion of our casino. We met almost every week. So we give the overall direction. We monitor you know, what's happening financially. We, we have the casino. We also operate the truck stop, KTP. So our goal is more to oversight. Uh, we have to interact. You know, there's audits done every year. So we just make sure we hire quality people to do a quality job. So far, so good. It sounds like we're, uh, we're actually doing pretty good with that casino. The grand opening was last summer, and I hear there might be some plans underway to have maybe some high-profile names um, perform in the near future. We are planning on, as, as the economy gets better, as the weather gets better, we plan on having some, some big-name acts out there. As far as the, uh, we have a strategic plan for the area up there, which includes adding a hotel. Mm-hmm. So we, we've engaged a group that's doing a market study that will tell us how big a hotel, what amenities in the hotel would be best for that location. Because we've gone through a pandemic followed by a recession, mm-hmm. we haven't overspent. This market study will kind of give us an idea of what, what that really should look like. We think that uh, having a hotel will be highly beneficial, but you know we're smart enough to know we don't know everything, so we're going to get a third party. Once that's done, we will then turn our attention to building a exhibit hall, a conference hall, a, some kind of entertainment venue, all-in-one type of situation up there. The, the goal, of course, is to turn the Bremen area into a total entertainment center. You also have played a very important role in the recent establishment of KNI, which is Caw Nation Industries. Basically, it's a corporate charter designed to um, identify opportunities for Caw Nation Enterprises. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in helping to kind of head the creation of that? So about 10 years ago, the Tribal Council embarked on creating a corporate charter entity. Now what that is... It is a federally established corporation that is based on a federal statute that's very similar to the federal statute that allows us to have our constitutional body, our our tribal council, which serves people. This is similar, but it's for business. It provides a business corporation that shields the tribe from liability but can go out and take advantage of business opportunities that are afforded tribal entities through the Small Business Act. How would you say that the process of creating a charter for a Native American tribe differs from basically creating one through a typical corporation? Well, the good thing about one through a federal corporation is you have a federal statute that backdrops your whole foundational efforts 
you know, it's it's more than a state corporation. It's a federal corporation. Um, business conducted under it is exempt from federal uh, taxation. And if there's any questions, the body of law that you look at is federal law. It's not state law. So there's so many different attributes of it. There are some tribes that have taken advantage of this and have become very, um, very good at creating business opportunities. You know, we talked off radio here about the Ho-Chunks, yes. who are a business colossus. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Chickasaw Nation Industries, they're huge. The Cherokees have done this. Uh, other tribes, I've, I've worked for some tribes that we uh, did government contracting at Tinker Air Force Base. There are all sorts of business opportunities for tribes once they avail themselves of the creation of this board. Now, the interesting thing is we had to have a federal election. So the federal government was involved in this election because we had to do it pursuant to federal statute. And then once it was approved, then the tribal council has now started staffing it with with board members who um, are on board now. They're having their they had their first organizational meeting last week, and then they're going to have their big confab with the tribal council. And I believe it's uh, March fourth to kick this thing off and to, to actually start looking for business opportunities. You mentioned federal government contracting. Is that going to be one of the the big focuses? Is that one of our objectives under this? I would I would think it would be in in my capacity as uh, government relations and slash special projects, I'm, I'm here to assist them. But based on the conversations I've had with them, the experience of the people that are on that board has been, been in regard to getting government contracts. So I think they'll certainly do that. Tribal governments seem to have a little bit of an advantage in some ways when it comes to acquiring these, these government contracts over maybe, you know, private entities. Would you be able to speak to that and potentially how we would have an advantage in that way? Yeah, certainly. So you have the Small Business Administration, SBA. Then there's uh, Section 8 of the SBA Act provides for programs for disadvantaged entities. So that includes Indian tribes, that includes service disabled, that includes Pacific Islanders, uh, women. So these kind of businesses have regulations that give them priority when they are seeking government contracting. It also, if you're a tribal entity doing this rather than just a regular person, you have a whole set of other advantages. The the main one is sole source. So you can become, rather than there's all these, all this red tape in acquiring contracts, because you have to bid and that type of thing. But if you have a good business history, you have a good organization, you're well placed in an industry, they, a company could sole source a contract to you and you get around the bid processes. Oh, wow. So there's all these government, there's thousands of pages of this business administration things, the Air Force, the Army, any type of government entity is is available for us. Also, there's something called the Buy Indian Act that's just been given a little more teeth where 
government entities that generally weren't in the Small Business Administration have um, promotional opportunities through the Buy Indian Act. And it's just exactly what it sounds like. It's, you know, you have preference if you're an Indian business that can perform. You know, there's an old joke. Um, maybe it's an old joke. It's an old joke to me, but it, it goes, how do you start a small tribal business? Well, let's create a big one and wait a while. <laughs> so there's there's always, I've seen a lot of tribes that uh, didn't properly research how these are to operate. They didn't um, put the right people on the boards, and they didn't have a strategic plan for how they were going to do things. And so, you know, what do they say? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it, it's like it's like any good business. It has to work hard. It has to do its job to be good. Just because you're an Indian business isn't all all there is to it. But it, it certainly provides a lot of opportunities and a lot of advantages. Yeah, it sounds like we have a, a number of advantages. And this recent corporate charter with Carnation Industries is going to help us take advantage of some of those benefits that we have being a tribe. Well, listen, thank you so much, Ken. I appreciate you sitting down and sharing some of your knowledge with us. I look forward to possibly sitting down again with you in the future and, and talking about some more things. Thank you. You're listening to Kanza Radio on 1230 WBBZ and 1047 The Bull. For more information, visit connation.com. Sitting down with us, we have Sue Ann Palmer. She is the ARPA project manager for Con Nation. ARPA stands for American Rescue Plan Act. Thank you for sitting down with us, Sue Ann. You're welcome. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that we have faced with the COVID-19 pandemic and how ARPA has helped us to address some of those challenges. Being indigenous people, we're automatically at a higher risk of having underlying issues such as diabetes. So when this pandemic started, we were already the underdog, basically. Mm-hmm. We're also located in a rural area, so we don't have as large of an area to seek medical help or have any extra help from the government because of the, the smaller connections that we have. Mm-hmm. To address some of those, we did set up a medical annex in Cost City near headquarters. We also have a medical annex in Bremen to also help when we had our COVID shot, flu shot mm-hmm. clinics. Those kind of just serve as like additional medical style offices that we can use as a resource because some of our medical facilities outside of here are, are rather far away and can present challenges. Exactly. And we also had like storage for the masks and uh, Lysol and any kind of cleaning supplies that people needed to come and pick up. We had a supply of those for our members. How is Connation using the funding provided by ARPA to support its community members, both in terms of immediate relief, like we had gone over just now, or some of the longer-term recovery efforts? We did have a um, stimulus-type funding where we did have cash that was given out to um, members 18 years and older. We started a program for our elders where they are getting a supplemental check each month starting in 2023. We had meat bundles. We uh, put together meat bundles for all of our citizens to come pick up. We're upgrading our facilities such as the wellness center. 
We're getting some new equipment there. We're offering different programs, different exercise programs for people to come out and yeah. get away from home. And I, and I know a lot of people think, well, that wellness center is just for tribal members, but it is also open to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they offer memberships there. Yes. I've been um, attending recently as well, and they have all sorts of brand new equipment there. They have new cardiovascular equipment. They have new resistance training equipment there. It's actually really nice. Yeah. One of our other programs that we did was uh, we have a firewood program where we are processing wood to distribute to our tribal members to help with their heating for their homes, mm-hmm. you know, another fuel resource for them because of the electric and gas that's so high right now. Yeah, and that's actually kind of a multi-layered benefit because in order to get that wood, we're actually clearing out some of our, our land that we own. So yes. it's kind of beautifying the area. It's also helping us to enable further opportunities on that land, whether it be agricultural or something to that effect. Correct. Can you speak to the ways in which Caudation is working to ensure that the funding provided by ARPA is distributed equitably and reaches those that it needs most? I can. We do have programs that we mention. We do have those programs listed in our newsletter. We have them on our website, but mainly word of mouth. When one tribal member finds out about a program, they'll tell everybody. I mean, they tell their brothers, their aunts, and that just spreads. So a lot of it is word of mouth. But... We do need to make sure that all of our members update all of their information at all times so they aren't missing out on on these ideas. A lot of our community outreach efforts are only as good as the information that we have in our enrollment department. So if a head of household changes or if there's a change of address, anything like that um, changes in the family, we need to know about that so we can make sure that we're informing our, our tribal community of any services or things that are being offered. Correct. We also have new digital information screens that are placed in Newkirk at the Wellness Center, as well as the Konza Clinic. We have a screen here at the lobby of our administrative buildings as well. So I try to do a good job of making sure that we're informing people of the different programs that we have in place with those as well. How is Connation collaborating with other organizations, both within the Native American community and beyond, to coordinate relief efforts that maximize the impact of the funding that's provided by ARPA? We have biweekly meetings with our FSA advisory group to help keep up with what other tribes have been doing mm-hmm. with their funds. We reach out to other tribes to see what projects they may have been successful with in using their ARPA funds and, and try to maybe coordinate that working for our members as well. I know one of the things that we did at the beginning was sent out a questionnaire to all of our members to see where their needs lie. As far as once COVID started hitting and they started seeing the downgrade, where can we help you? Yeah, so we're not only are we getting feedback from other tribes and seeing what everybody else is doing, but we're actually reaching out directly to our own community to see what they feel would help them personally. Speaking of talking to other tribes and kind of seeing how they're handling some of these challenges, what advice would you have for other Native American tribes that seem to be working with us when utilizing these ARPA funds? Again, I think um, the questionnaire to members to get their feedback on what their needs are, reaching out to other tribes. You can see it on TV. You've seen advertisements where like 
they're beautifying their community. Like what we tried to do with our firewood, you mm-hmm. know, like trying to help people get out of the house more. I know part of being in quarantine or in lockdown, the mental health really, Absolutely. there was really a decline in that. And so getting people out, letting them see the sunshine, mm-hmm. you know, the vitamin D deficiencies that went on, but getting people out and about. But yeah, if you can... Uh, Constantly reach out to other tribes and get information from and feedback from your members. In terms of the mental health, I know that we've done a few things that are helping people to not only get out of their house, but to get outside a little bit. I'll let you elaborate a little further on that. And also, let us know about some of the other projects that we've participated in, some that you are personally proud of. One of the programs that we are looking to do is to upgrade here in Cost City near our headquarters. We have a walking trail that is open to the public, but it's overrun. It's not up to par. We're looking to use some ARPA funds to revamp that walking trail that will allow people to get out of their homes and help with their mental health, you know, to get out in a smaller area without having to be confined. You know, like a lot of them, getting out and getting the exercise will help with their mental health. Absolutely. You know, just getting out and seeing the sunshine, maybe seeing another person without having to be in the confines of a gym. Mm -hmm. You know, you're getting your exercise. Some of the other programs that I'm excited about, we had a home improvement program. We did have very limited funds at the time to do heat and air replacement for some of the members. They had roofing, replacement windows, insulation, things that would help with their fuel costs as far as electric and gas, you know, Mm -hmm. for the heating and cooling of their homes. The small business grant, we were able to help a number of tribal members that had a small business that declined during COVID. And I was amazed at the amount of small businesses that our tribal members own. I was just shocked at the amount of applications that came in on that. We have a large generator now that's going to run our entire headquarters in Cost City. It was actually just delivered today. It is definitely large. It almost looks like a... (laughs) A, a condominium was installed on that <laughs> on that concrete pad out there. Yes. One of the things that will help in the future even, and we remodeled all the buildings here at, in Cost City at the headquarters, the wellness center and the health center in Newkirk. Mm-hmm. We're redoing all of the paint, and the paint that's going in is a sanitizing paint that eliminates germs or cuts down on germs and will help keep from spreading germs. So instead of just beautifying the facility, it's actually serving a purpose because the paint actually will sanitize the area and kill germs. So we also got rid of carpet in a lot of places, which is known for holding germs. Yes. 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 Took out the carpet, put in the hard floors. So in the future, if this pandemic continues or even another one happens, we're protecting everybody, trying to keep everybody safe as much as possible. Along with the short-term solutions that we were able to provide, we were able to also do a lot of long-term things. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. You're doing such wonderful work for us as the ARPA project manager. I appreciate you taking time to sit down and talk with us, Sue Ann. I look forward to speaking with you on projects that continue to develop in the future. All right. Thank you. This is Kanza Radio, a service of the Kaw Nation of Oklahoma. Today, we're sitting down with Jalen Kent. She's the Kaw Nation Procurement Director, as well as the Chair for Kaw Nation Cultural Committee. Um, where'd you go to college? Did you pursue any education after high school? 
I did. I went, I started out at Northern Oklahoma College where I received my associates in science. And then there on, I went to Oklahoma State University where I am still studying business analytics. Are you the first director for that department? Actually, I'm not. When I first started out in the procurement department, I started out as the procurement coordinator and I originally had someone else over me who was the procurement director and then they soon after retired. And then I just moved up. Stepped in as the director. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, what are the objectives of our procurement or really any procurement department? So there's really three big objectives you look at with procurement, and those are to cut down excess spending, to build those relationships that can and will benefit us as the call nation, and to improve quality at a lower cost. Tell us a little bit about the culture committee that you are director of, or actually the chair on. So one of the big ones is to preserve and maintain our culture and to really just push the youth to be more involved. Without that, who's going to carry on like our culture and our practices? We also coordinate a couple annual powwows. I know that the Carnation Cultural Committee is responsible for most of that. Tell us a little bit about our annual powwows. So the first one we have is it's Washunga Days Powwow, and it's held during the Washunga Days Festival up in Council Grove, Kansas. That's where our call people are originally from. The This powwow started in June of 1982. In, in the 80s, in the beginning, it was held at the call mission that we have up there. And then in 2015, we had an arbor built. So the event has been growing over time. I know that we had some challenges with COVID and we've recently just kind of reintroduced this powwow. How did our 2022 event go? Saturday was actually our biggest event that's ever taken place there, as I was told, with over 400 people in attendance. So we're on the up and up with that. That's incredible. In terms of the Kaw Nation powwow that's held in Washunga Bay, Tell us a little bit about the history of that event. I know that has some really rich history regarding um, Kaw Nation tribe. So actually, my great-great-grandmother, Maudie McCauley-Clark Rowe, and her son, Elmer Clark, they had gotten together and they decided to bring our dancing traditions back. And they held the first Kaw powwow in, the, in Elmer's backyard in Shidler, Oklahoma, during the fall of 1977. During this first powwow, several of the last full bloods attended. And because of those actions that took place, the annual Kaw Nation powwow was held the first weekend of August every year. Is there anything remarkable that you remember about this last most recent powwow, especially coming out of COVID? Coming out of COVID, we weren't able to have a powwow for a couple of years, and it was really good to see the numbers really climb, especially this year, and see all the attendees. In terms of the Connation Cultural Committee, are you currently accepting applications for anybody that wants to kind of join the committee? And if so, how would they go about doing that? So we have one open seat right now, and... The process of applying for the committee would be to get with our tribal council secretary, little Carol Clark, and uh, you'll just you'll request a interest slash board interest form, and you'll fill that out and turn it back into her, and she'll present it to the tribal council. 
The committee does an excellent job with everything you guys do. I know you have some things you'd like to see develop moving forward. One of those is a lot of more intertribal networking. I know that they were actually very instrumental in helping you guys coordinate this most recent set of annual powwows. Could you elaborate on that a little bit further? Our committee is all new this past year. We all kind of stepped in in March of 2022, and none of us had prior had ever put together a powwow, and it was something very new for us. So reaching out to those other cultural committees from the surrounding tribes, they were more than willing to you know show us the ropes and how to do those things. So we're really thankful for that. And with that, we would like to continue working with them and maybe having some hand games, some intertribal events, and seeing where we can go with that to keep those relationships with them going. I also noticed in our October 22 Kanza newsletter, there was actually a piece about you and your participant in something called Leadership Ponca City. It's a program that basically helps future leaders of the community. It looks like they selected you amongst upwards of almost 40 applicants. So that's that's really impressive. Tell us a little bit about the program. What are some of the aspects of the program? Maybe some stuff you've been learning. Yeah, so there were there's 24 of us in my class, including me, and we meet once a month for 10 months, and that's from August to May. So what we do is during each session each month, we all get together and we have our days planned out from 7 a.m. all the way to like 6.30 p.m. Like it's a super busy day. We, we, we go meet with people in our community, our surrounding communities, who serve in these leadership roles and they kind of just tell us, you know, how they got there and what it means to be a leader and to, to serve selflessly for the people in the area. Jalen, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Yes, thank you, Lonnie. You've been listening to Kanza Radio, a weekly update on the people, events, activities, and services of the Kaw Nation. For more information, visit our website at kawnation.com or Kaw Nation on Facebook. Listen again next week at this same time for another edition of Kanza Radio.